Welcome to the Life Adventurer Podcast, where we explore everything related to making digital transformations. As a full-service development firm, we bring over a decade of experience in taking businesses from concept to product for whatever their software needs. Subscribe to hear more talks and tips on how to transform your business today. Hello and welcome to the Life of Venturit podcast. This is Alex Mershak. With me today is Venturit CEO and founder, Prabod Webod, as well as our product designer, Gracia, and one of our product managers, Valley. Welcome hey, to the Alex. show, everyone. Thank you. I'm excited to get into our topic today. We're going to be talking about product development and product management. Uh, as a company, Venturit sees many, many different products that come in through the doors uh, as just an idea. Sometimes it's literally just, you know, writings and scribblings on paper. And it, it goes all the way through that process of going from an idea to a real product that people are using in the real world, serving our customers and clients. Um, and so to start off, I just wanted to ask, how does the product development process begin from that first stage in ideation? Uh, hi, Alex. Um, my name is Valley, and I'm product manager at Venturit. So I'm going to go ahead and explain a little bit of what we do before we get started with our development process at Venturit. So basically, we like to have conversations with the client to understand their scope and what their goals are. Um, we usually give something like a little homework where we ask the client to meet with their internal team so that they can brainstorm and organize what those objectives are for the product or the project they're trying to build. And that way, when we meet with our team of developers and designers and whoever is going, the project manager is going to be, we can have a better overall view of what is it that the client wants. So basically, before we get started, we would need the client to organize their ideas and thoughts so that when they come into that first stage of the process, we can organize the requirements accordingly. Some, some clients love it, some clients hate it. We make it very easy by uh, providing these templates where they can um, organize their ideas. It's structured and it comes with examples so they can follow. And that would help our internal product team to understand the mindset and, and the client is thinking about. So that way we, we can have a better knowledge sharing about the idea before we do anything. So basically when we give the client the homework, we give them sort of like an outline of what a brainstorming meeting should look like. So we give them some tips on how a successful brainstorming meeting would go, basically aligning them that they should listen to the other teammate, to other teammates to make sure that before the meeting, everyone has done their appropriate research and have notes to be able to talk about uh, whatever goals everybody has in mind. We ask them to put out an objective and then we make them lay out like the requirements that they have in mind. It doesn't have to be high level because that would come for us to do after we have the initial meeting with the client, then we go ahead and grab all of the things that they explained to us, the brainstorming document, and we go ahead and build like the high level requirements for them to approve. So basically the, um, the brainstorming document that we give them, it's, it's just notes where the client can explain their goals and their secondary objectives. So that way we can work off of that. 
And what are some of the more common questions that you find yourself asking clients who don't always come into this, you know, totally prepared to uh, explain what it is they need done? Yeah. So the whole point we are trying to get at is to see whether what is the problem uh, they're trying to solve. And it's a very um, different mindset when we see people think that they have a solution and they, they're mostly focused on the solution. So mm. uh, as a company, uh, previously we talked about that we want to fall in love with the problem. Getting that mindset to understand, look, um, you know, it's great you have a solution, you think, for the problem you're thinking, but let's do a little bit deep dive into the problem and then try to understand. And that, you know, give us better understanding whether mainly having these brainstorming sessions and then once, I'm sure Valley talked about the process, and once we get into the process where we do discovery interviews with uh, potential um, customers to see whether that product is aiming at the right buttons of the problem. After you've had that initial, you know, dialogue with the client and you've presented the requirements and you're ready to start building, where do you begin in terms of communicating with the different teams? Which part of the development process is first? And then how do you balance, you know, the fact that all the teams need to be communicating with each other, even though they tend to be a little bit separate. You have to communicate with development, with design, uh, maybe even with sales and marketing, depending on what the product is. How do you balance that communication role? In our case, um, from the first, from the beginning of the process, we like everyone. We would like to ideally have our team ready to make sure that everybody that is going to be working on the team at least is aligned with the requirements that the client has given us. So, in the kickoff meeting, we usually have one stakeholder for each team, one designer, one developer, the project manager, one person from QA, so that they can also help us build that, those product requirements. So everybody can pitch in, give ideas, listen, and understand. So that way, throughout the process, while we're building uh, the other documents, while we are doing design and development, everybody understands what is that initial goal that the client wants. Because we don't want to have get to a certain point of the process and then ask someone like, okay, what is it that what is what are the client's requirements? And then it comes, we come to find out that they don't know. So we try to involve everyone as much as possible from the beginning. How do you manage this whole process is another science itself. Internally, we with our experience have broken this product development process into three stages. Having these stages help us to improve the communication and working towards common objectives that we need to achieve at each stage. So most of the time we talked about discovery, that's in our stage one or design stage, we call it. Our development process is has three stages and each stage has some designs and some deliverables for the client to, so that we can move forward to the next step. In the design stage, we have six steps. The first one being the discovery call, as Pro mentioned. In the discovery call happens all of the things we've talked about previously, which is basically being able to understand the client scope, building the requirements. And we also have two more deliverables at this step, which are the market analysis and the user personas. These are very important 
because with the market analysis, we go in and do a deep dive into the market that the product is going to be uh, representing. So we go in and look at the market, what are our competitors doing, what is failing, what can we improve? And if there's anything that could be added into the initial requirements, we can go ahead and uh, add that in and we have all of the information and the data backing it as to why. And then the user personas will help us build a knowledge on the users that are going to be interacting with our product. So we sort of build like an image of what our ideal users would be like, what are their needs, their motivators, their objectives, what are the backgrounds to why these people need this platform. And then that would help us give a more in-depth view on what our product could look like and what it would be, who it would be directed to. In the user personas, we, we want to see the problem that we are addressing is one of the frustrations they have, like a top frustration, because we want the user to use our product to solve that problem they're facing. So that's the idea why we are getting into the problem so much to make sure that you know, we understand the potential user frustrations they are facing. And then basically what motivates them, try to figure out what motivates them and build the delivery of the products that they are motivated to use it. But the point is trying to get their whole process in, in one meeting with the first meeting with the client sometimes seems overwhelming them. Mm -hmm. So um, we we have to guide them step by step. That's another challenge um, you know, with some of the clients. As you're moving through this process, how do you deal with clients who maybe discover that what they were looking for originally isn't quite what they wanted or what they feel like will be realistic for their for their application? How do you sort of negotiate kind of changing expectations? So many clients that we help them at this stage realize, okay, they, they don't have product market fit and then they have abandoned or changed their ideas about the product mainly because the problem that we are trying to solve is actually solved by somebody else in the market or is it it's not a problem whoever they think their custom target customers are thinking as a top problem in this phase maybe i would say 60 percent will go forward about 40 percent will change their mind and some will stop, some will try to figure out how to, um, you know, change or we call it pivot the ideas. You're listening to the Life at Venturit podcast. At Venturit, we specialize in producing smart applications using AI, machine learning, blockchain, and IoT. You can learn about all our services at Venturit.com. All right, back to the show. You know, you mentioned also checking out the competition, uh, working through uh, the different user personas. There are kind of two kind of classical schools of thought in terms of when you're thinking about designing a product, what to focus on. And those are roughly uh, focusing being sort of uh, competition centric, which is focusing on what's already in the existing market and what your competitors are doing and being sort of more customer centric, which is simply focusing on you know, what it is that your customers uh, would like, would like to be improved on. I would, I would say that maybe an example of this might be something like, uh, like, like Amazon versus uh, a car company where Amazon has 
traditionally been really focused on just providing the best product or the best uh, services to their clients and focusing on what their customers want. Whereas uh, a car company, let's say, uh, let's just pick on Ford for a minute. Car, car companies tend to develop more in the, in, in the line of focusing on what the other competitors are doing in the space and sort of adjusting their strategies based on that. How do you work out that difference there between being sort of customer focused and competitor focused? Most of our clients are startups. When they come in, they might have certain level of funding, uh, whether it's their own money or their family money or early stage uh, angel money. When you get to the certain level of your product, you need, if, if you do well and you, you make money right away, you don't need growth financing or growth investment. Most of the time, when you have to pitch, which is like the standard pitches in the startup world has a competitive slide, talk about it. So you might have seen this famous Airbnb pitch where they have the competitive slide and, and a lot of people talk about that. If you ignore the competitors and if you're going into these traditional pictures where they ask you to do within like three to four minutes or five minutes and you don't have a competitor analysis done, then that would be a problem because a lot of these uh, you know, competitions uh, focus on that and that leaves um, you out from potential investors who are looking at certain investments. So we try to keep a balance of both and depending on the, your, what your objectives are. Some people mm -hmm. will come to us and say, look, I have enough funding to do this and I just want to get the product out to hands of my potential customers and keep improving that. I'm, I'm not worried about the cash flow because I have enough to cover that. Some people want to come to us and say, hey, I need a proof of concept. I need to see my potential customers going to use this. But at the same time, I need to pitch this to investors who I can get some investments, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's like a middle path that we have to go. One of the things that people are often confused about just generally, especially people who maybe aren't in the startup space or uh, in tech so much, is the difference between a product manager and a project manager, whereas the, the project manager is handling the specific instance of the project that's been assigned that everyone is working on. And the product manager is more of an overall higher level type role. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit on the differences between a product manager and a project manager? And I know it does ca cause a little bit of like, it can be interpreted as like, it's, it could be the same things because both roles have very similar tasks. But as you mentioned, the project manager is more involved with the internal team. They are actually getting the, the team together so that they can achieve a specific objectives and be able to complete that project versus the product manager takes a more wide view and focuses also on the external part, um, on like the relationship with the customer. And after the project is launched or delivered, also following up the success of, of the client is actually being, pro the project continues to be successful. And, and of course, a lot of that depends on, as we mentioned earlier, you know, proper communication between the teams. Uh, one of the things that goes into this is, of course, deciding 
what the technical challenges are for the new project and what kind of tools and languages teams want to use to try to get what needs to be built accomplished. How do you work out what kinds of stack to use, uh, what kind of technical tools are going to be required, how much infrastructure, database space, et cetera, will, will be used? Obviously, that's going to change over the lifetime of a product or a company. But initially, how does the team sort of figure out what technologies to implement? I'm not a developer, but obviously we, the research is very important and also depends if we have already worked with this client before or not. So if we have, we go in and look if there's any, any current code that is present that we could reuse, um, that we could help build. If we have to build from scratch, then the, obviously like the, the, the technical discovery, as we call it, would be completely different. Then we have to go. Uh, research into what is it if the client already has something developed then we have to go in and look at what is developed are there any risks is there anything that we have to intervene from that um, past code that they have and then also look into uh, cloud infrastructure like servers databases and if there are any other third-party tools that we need just to add one thing into it, so the technical discovery happening in the stage one, getting everybody up front to understand the, the requirements on the technical side also. And um, it could be, let's say we are doing a mobile app. Are we going to do use a cross-platform framework like React.js or um, are we going to uh, go native like uh, using Swift? Kotlin from Android. Um, those are kind of discoveries are very important because that can save time and money. So we, we do this uh, very thorough the technical discovery present to the client so that they have a better understanding on the technical side as well. The technical you know challenges and limitations aren't the only thing that needs to be considered either. There's also the whole aspect of user experience and design, which can sometimes even butt up against maybe some of the technical requirements or the way in which those technical requirements, you know, the way in which the development teams are looking for those requirements to be implemented. Bracia, did you want to talk for a minute about what some of the design challenges are that come along with a, a new project like this and getting the UX right so that the user experience that's presented in the final project sort of fits with the vision that was imagined? Uh, I feel like at Venturit, we always have a user-centered approach and uh, that is visible uh, also like before the UX design which is feature maps and user flows and wireframes before all that we also have uh, user personas and understand like the end user so that helps us a lot understand as well as designers what the company actually needs from us there's one thing and it is that if we don't have the user uh, on our minds we can design a lot of things but they're not go going to work out at the end or they're not going to be like the solution to the main problem. And this is where we have uh, several steps uh, as UX designers that we need to follow. Uh, one of them is uh, the feature map, for example. So we create all of the features all, all, of, all of the um, hierarchy. We create all of the hierarchy of what the product is going to have and how it's going to be organized. And then based on those where we are planning to do the user flows, which is basically how the user is going to interact with each one of the actions we are going to have on that, um, on the design. 
So it is very important to have first UX user experience and after that have the UI part, which is the user interface, because that is going to be the base of all of it. And if we don't follow it, uh, every, everything can crumble down. That's one of the ways uh, we build our products here. Uh, we do wireframes, uh, very important for our clients in order to show it to them and be sure and be assured that this is what they actually were looking for. Those are some of the steps we follow previous to building the whole design uh, and then sending it to the developers. Towards the end of this process, we give almost realistic design, call it high fidelity design, that the potential client can send it to the potential users. Uh, we use like, um, apps like Envision and Figma to kind of share that so the users can experience um, the design like they're actually using the app. So that can get us a lot of like feedback from potential clients and then stakeholders. So that I think is a very important uh, step of this uh, UX uh, process in, in the company. Thank you for listening to the Life Adventure podcast. On our next episode, we discuss how we build estimates and get a proposal out to the client and how we follow the development process from start to finish. So stay tuned. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Adventure podcast. We appreciate our audience and clients for their continued support. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends and family. For more information on our services and upcoming episodes, please visit us at VentureIt.com, as well as our other social media channels. Talk to you soon.